Welcome to Sojourner Truth. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. On Monday, June 21st, 2021, thousands of impoverished people, low and no wage workers, campaigners, and faith leaders from across the United States gathered online for a mass assembly organized by the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival. The assembly, which simultaneously featured a socially distanced rally in North Carolina, called for a third reconstruction. A third reconstruction would draw from the transformational history of the first reconstruction following the U.S. Civil War and the second reconstruction of the civil rights movement of the 20th century. The Poor People's Campaign describes the third reconstruction as what should be the nation's commitment to establish justice, provide for the general welfare, end decades of austerity and a war economy, protect the environment, and recognize that policies that center the country's 140 million or low-wealth people are also good economic policies that can heal and transform the nation. Led by Congresswoman Barbara Lee, members of Congress have introduced a nonpartisan resolution entitled A Third Reconstruction. It's time to fully address poverty and low wages from the bottom up. Inspired by decades of fierce campaigning, the Congressional Resolution for a Third Reconstruction reflects a progressive vision for a fundamental restructuring of society. The resolution points out that in order to build a true third reconstruction, U.S. society must deal with the interlocking injustices of systemic racism, poverty, ecological devastation, and the denial of health care, militarism, and the distorted moral narrative of religious nationalism that blames the poor instead of the systems that cause poverty. Furthermore, the Assembly kicked off a one-year campaign dedicated to building towards a mass moral march on Washington and Poor People's Assembly on June 18, 2022. The hybrid online and in-person mass assembly that took place this year on Monday, June 21st, included over 40 state coordinating committees of the Poor People's Campaign, over 200 organizing partners, and thousands of faith leaders. Today, on Sojourner Truth, we bring you exclusive audio from that assembly. During today's program, you will hear speeches, testimony, and music from the historic event, which was led by the Poor People's Campaign Joint Coordinators, the Reverend Liz Theo Harris and the Reverend Dr. William J. Barber III. We live in a global world. We're all interrelated. So on Sojourner Truth, we work to bring directly to you news and views on local, national, and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted women, communities of color, and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelationship between art and politics. Now for our news headlines. For Pacifica Radio, I'm Eileen Alfandari. President Biden met separately with moderate Democratic Senators Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema in a bid to win their support for far-reaching Democratic voting rights legislation. 
Democratic Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is hoping to have unanimous support from his party members when he brings the legislation to the floor today. Republicans will be unanimous in their opposition. They plan to filibuster the legislation to prevent a vote on it. Mary Sherman reports. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer brings the For the People Act up for a vote. It's a vote on whether the Senate should simply debate the issue of voting rights, the crucial issue of voting rights. Democrats say the measure is needed to override new state-level laws that restrict access to the ballot. Minority Leader Mitch McConnell says he'll block the measure. They've made abundantly clear that the real driving force behind S-1 is a desire to rig the rules of American elections permanently, permanently in Democrats' favor. That's why the Senate will give this disastrous proposal no quarter. The opposition comes despite Democrat Joe Manchin's compromise bill, which would make Election Day a federal holiday, strengthen voter ID laws, and ban partisan gerrymandering. A bipartisan group of senators is hammering out final details of an infrastructure compromise, which reportedly would spend $830 billion. Republican resistance to tax increases remains a sticking point. For Pacifica Network and Public News Service, I'm Mary Sherman. It's Election Day in New York City. Voters will decide who succeeds Mayor Bill de Blasio. For the first time, the primary is using ranked choice voting, a system that lets voters rank up to five candidates instead of choosing just one. The leading candidates to succeed term-limited New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio include Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams, who's a former police captain, former presidential candidate Andrew Yang, former city sanitation commissioner Catherine Garcia, former de Blasio administration attorney Maya Wiley, and Manhattan Borough President Scott Stringer. Eight Democrats are running to succeed District Attorney Cyrus Vance Jr. He has been leading a probe of former President Trump's business dealings. A federal judge dismissed most claims filed by activists and civil liberties groups who accused the Trump administration of violating the civil rights of protesters who were forcefully removed by police before then-President Trump walked to a church near the White House for a photo op with a Bible last June. The lawsuit alleged that Trump and then-Attorney General Bill Barr conspired to violate the rights of protesters. In a statement, the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law said the ruling set an extremely dangerous precedent and that former officials like Barr were getting off scot-free. A new book by two Washington Post reporters says in the early days of the coronavirus pandemic, former President Trump considered sending U.S. citizens infected with the coronavirus to Guantanamo Bay. That's where the U.S. has held captives in the so-called war on terrorism. Trump reportedly asked White House staff, quote, don't we have an island that we own? What about Guantanamo? Trump said we import goods. We are not going to import a virus. Trump himself was later hospitalized after contracting COVID-19. The book also says Trump complained about coronavirus testing. He reportedly told his Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar, quote, I'm going to lose the election because of testing. What idiot had the federal government do testing? Azar responded, quote, "Uh, do you mean Jared? That was a reference to Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, who had been put in charge of testing five days earlier. Las Vegas Raiders defensive end Carl Nassib has become the first active NFL player to come out as gay. Nassib announced the news on Instagram. I just want to take a quick moment to say that I'm gay. I've been meaning to do this for a while now, but I finally feel comfortable enough to get it off my chest. Um, I really have the best life. I got the best 
family, friends, and job a guy could ask for. Um, I'm a pretty private person, so I hope you guys know that I'm really not doing this for attention. Um, I just think that representation and visibility are so important. Um, I actually hope that like one day videos like this and the whole coming out process are just not necessary. Um, but until then, you know, I'm going to do my best and do my part to cultivate a culture that's accepting, that's compassionate. And I'm going to start by donating $100,000 to the Trevor Project. The Trevor Project is a nonprofit that seeks to prevent suicide among LGBTQ youth. The Spanish cabinet has issued pardons for nine imprisoned politicians who helped organize a secession referendum in 2017 for Spain's Catalonia region. Socialist Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez says the pardon is needed to bring reconciliation. The former Catalan vice president had received the harshest sentence of 13 years in prison for sedition and misuse of public funds. He and others have already spent three and a half years behind bars. The pardon lifts the remaining years of their prison terms, but they will not be allowed to hold public office. I'm Eileen Alfandiri for Pacifica Radio. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth, and those were our news headlines. And now we kick off our Sojourner Truth special on the 2021 National Poor People's and Low-Wage Workers Assembly, hosted by the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival. The hybrid online and in-person mass assembly called for the realization of the third reconstruction, which would reflect a progressive vision for a fundamental restructuring of U.S. society. Diverse people from all corners of the United States converge and convened in the assembly, a hybrid event, both online as well as in person to speak out against the interlocking injustices of systemic racism, the denial of health care and ecological devastation, uh, poverty, militarism, and the distorted moral narrative of religious nationalism. Let's hear those voices now. We welcome you to the launch of the Mass Poor People's Low Wage Assembly and Mara March on Washington, D.C., June 18, 2022. Today we start 365 days of mobilization to change this nation. And because we are Mara Monday, because we are the Poor People's Campaign, and I greet you on behalf of also Reverend Dr. Leah Steele Harris. Part of us, this is virtual, part of it is live, but first thing we always do is a roll call from the state. In 2018, there were 140 million Americans who were poor or one emergency away from economic ruin. Across the country, in communities and forgotten places, poor people and low-wage workers of different races, genders, abilities, sexualities, and faiths are building a moral fusion movement. We are coming together across all the lines that divide us to restructure and lift our society from the bottom up. We delivered our demands. We demand. We demand. We demand. We demand. We demand. Reinvestment in and the expansion of public housing ensuring that all have a decent house to live in and a place to call home. 
we engaged in nonviolent civil disobedience. To follow that breaking news in Albany, where a large group of protesters have moved back into the street. Today's Poor People's Campaign rally, part of simultaneous rallies in more than 30 states and Washington, D.C. Over the past five weeks, nearly 2,000 people have been arrested, what organizers describe as the most expansive wave of nonviolent direct action this century. Our backs are against the wall, and we got no choice but to push. Because it's crucial that we make ourselves heard. For a country this rich to have so many people poor, it's immoral and it's wrong. We testified on Capitol Hill. Never before have impacted leaders gotten to march into Congress and present a budget. We brought a full budget request and a movement behind it. During the pandemic, we organized the largest social media gathering of the poor in U.S. history. We mobilized, we organized, we registered, and we educated poor voters across the country. And we helped bring poverty to the national agenda. Something that hasn't come up very much tonight, but deserves a lot of attention, poverty. You know, the Poor People's Campaign is marching on Iowa right now, calling on us to talk about this issue more. Ending poverty will not just be an aspiration. It will be a theory of change to build a new economy that includes everyone. Our country now stands at a tipping point. We can realize a third reconstruction to fully address poverty and low wages from the bottom up. Today we say to poor people, Mr. Speaker, we see you and we will eradicate poverty in our country with you. No democracy can claim to be strong when 140 million people or 43 percent of its people are poor and low wealth. Now. We're organizing to realize a third reconstruction. It's time to fully address poverty and low wages from the bottom up. We are fighting forward together. And not one step back. I want you to know that when hands that once picked cotton, join hands of Latinos, join hands of progressive whites, join faith hands and labor hands and Asian hands and Native American hands and poor hands and wealthy hands with a conscience and gay hands and straight hands and trans hands and Christian hands and Jewish hands and Muslim hands and Hindu hands and Buddhist hands. When we all get together, we are an instrument of redemption. When we join hands, we can revive and make sure that the promise of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and equal protection under the law is never taken away from anybody. So I got a question. Are the rejected ready to revive and declare that this land is your land, this land is my land, this land is our land, and together from the State House to the White House, the rejected are going to demand that this nation never give up on being one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. country, across the world, to this powerful uprising, this mass 
Poor Peoples and Low Wage Workers Assembly, where we're launching 365 days of fighting forward, forward together, not one step back. We are here because people, poor people, low-wage workers, unpaid care workers, sub-minimum wage workers, homeless families, welfare rights leaders, health care workers who can't even afford health care, because family farmers, teachers, veterans, folks that have lost so much in COVID, and to the pandemics of racism and poverty that preceded, all kinds of beautiful, powerful people are rising up. We're rising up to demonstrate the compelling power that we, the 140 million poor and low-income people in this, the richest country in the world, have, the power that we have to reconstruct society from the bottom up. And we're here to commit to fighting forward for these one, 365 days. And until everyone is fed, until everyone has decent housing, until everyone is paid living wages and are able to enjoy the fruits of our labor, until black lives matter, indigenous lives matter, until we can end countless wars, until we ensure clean water and clean land and clean air for absolutely everyone. Yes. We are committed to fighting forward for a moral march on Washington. We know that when forces of regression forces that want to deny people the right to vote, forces that blame the poor for poverty rather than a poverty-producing system, forces that pay lip service to addressing injustice but refuse to raise wages or expand health care, or who decide to compromise with people's lives and the infrastructure of our communities. When such Forces of regression sow violence and inequality and division. Moral movements led by those most directly impacted by injustice, banding together with people from all walks of life. These movements arise. They build a better world. They make a difference. And I'm here to let you know that we are making a difference. Yes. People are organizing in more than 45 states across this country. Hundreds of partner organizations are joining forces together. Thousands of faith leaders from dozens of different faith traditions are making a clarion call for justice. This movement is putting pressure, it's persisting, and because of this, poverty is on the national agenda for the first time in over a generation. Yes. Because poor people and moral leaders and clergy and activists and organizers and advocates are mobilizing and organizing and educating and registering people for a movement that votes, a fusion movement is growing 
It's gaining strength. And we're here. And we're organized. Congressional leaders have introduced a resolution in the House of Representatives calling for a third reconstruction, fully addressing poverty and low wages from the bottom up, inspired by this Poor People's Campaign, inspired by the commitment and the clarity and the capacity and the connection of poor and low-wealth people leading this movement, committed to building and deepening the resolve this nation needs to become a more perfect union. This movement is made up of moms whose water has been turned off, whose children are being taken away, who cry out, take away our poverty, not our children. This movement is made of families who have lost children to the lack of health care, who have wailed that their children are no more, but are committed to fighting until all have the right to live. It's made up of grandparents in Cancer Alley, Louisiana, family farmers in Kansas, border communities in Texas, police brutality activists in St. Louis who are crying out, everybody's got a right to live. Everybody's got a right to live. And before this campaign fails, we'll all go down to jail because everybody's got a right to live. Poverty will not always be with us. Racism and violence and division is not inevitable. We can save the earth. We can end the militarization of our communities and the world. We can reject the false narratives of Christian nationalism, of white supremacy. Because this movement, this Poor People's Campaign, is moving forward together, not one step back. Forward together, not one step back. Forward together, not one step Thank you, Dr. Liz. I greet you tonight in the name of the 140 million poor and low-wealth people and low-wage workers in this country. We stand in the name of those tonight who struggle to make ends meet in the wealthiest nation in the world. Denied a living wage, called essential workers, but are denied the essentials to do their work. We stand tonight in the name of those who've been denied health care, denied voting rights, denied civil rights, denied human rights, denied clean air and clean water, denied the rights of this democracy. We stand tonight in their names on our way for the next fighting forward for the next 365 days to June 18, 2022. June 18, 2022, fighting forward. People have asked, Why do you protest? Why do you march? Why do you raise your voices? Why do you keep showing up in places like this? Why the Poor People's Campaign? Why the Third Reconstruction? Well, I tell you why you ask such good questions. We are here because we know none of us are free until all of us are free. We are here 
because we know that there is no scarcity in this land. The only scarcity is the moral will to do what's right. We are here because we know that when you lift from the bottom, everybody rises. We are here because we know everybody has a right to live. And before this campaign fails, we'll all go down to jail. And so I greet you tonight, and I say to you tonight, my sisters and brothers, forward together. Forward together. Forward together. Now we're getting ready to transition to voting rights. So let us welcome our ancestor, Rosanelle Eaton, with the, with the video, followed by her daughter, Miss Arminta Eaton. Come on, make some noise. When they announce something about some fraud, I said, why they keep lying? Because I didn't plan the march. I want to heal loud on my shoes. You got to open up your mouth and be a committee of one. Say, we the people. We the people. We the people. We the people. Back on this same mall, fighting the good fight for justice and freedom for all poor people in the United States and in this state. You sometimes wonder why do we have to do this over and over again. We are wise enough to know that it's not Democrat versus Republican. It is right versus wrong. While our demands may seem to fall on deaf ears, we know that we must continue to press on and not get weary in well-doing on working for the distressed, depressed, and suppressed. My dearly departed mother, Rosanelle Eaton, which you just saw, never got tired of standing up for voting rights since the time she was 21 years old, when she had to recite the preamble to the Constitution of the United States of America in order to even register to vote. Every moral Monday, my mother was out here with us on this mall, fighting for us, encouraging us, and even going to jail with us at the age of 92. She even went further. She sued Governor McCrory and the North Carolina Board of Elections to overturn the voter ID laws so that we may continue to vote freely. She stayed fed up and fired up until the very end. We are not fools. We know that these so-called voter integrity laws are not about voter integrity. We know that these laws are only designed to keep poor people, black people, and brown people 
from the polls to vote by cutting back early voting, cutting polling locations, cutting back hours to facilitate to the polls with special ID requirements, and even prohibiting us from giving a person a glass of water while they're standing in line to vote. It's shame, shame on them. Even though they try to wear us down and crush our hope, we must remember that the victory is not to given to the swift, nor to the strong, but those who endure to the end. Thank you. And to continue to talk about saving our democracy and voting rights, from Jackson, Mississippi, we got Benny Ivey. Hello, uh, man. First and foremost, thank you guys for uh, inviting me here. It's a pleasure, and it's an honor to be working beside uh, such great people for such a great cause. I was raised between South Jackson and Rankin County, Mississippi, all my life, dirt poor, raised by drug addicts and outlaws. Quit school and rode around with my uncle and my brother at age 15 so that we could break into houses and steal anything that wasn't tied down so that my family could smoke crack and do other hard drugs. I was a gang member at 15, looking for that security in my life that I didn't have at home. I was also a drug addict at 15 and a solid meth addict at age 16. I spent all my juvenile years in detention centers and training schools. I caught my first charge as an adult aggravated assault and burglary charges at 21 and I began a career in prison. From there, I was in and out of prison for the next 13 years, 11 of those years behind the walls of the Mississippi Department of Corrections. I never stood a chance at life. Not a chance. All my life, I lived the life that I was taught and conditioned to live, just like so many other people. You never know what's going on in somebody's life. You never know what's going on behind closed doors, right? But after serving my time and transforming my mind and transforming my life, my voice still doesn't count. My voice still don't count because I cannot vote. I've been out of prison now for more than a decade. I've been clean off meth more than a decade. I've been out of games more than a decade. And I still can't vote. I've accomplished many goals including I'm a success, successful business owner here in Mississippi. I'm a prominent church church member of my church. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a homeowner. I'm co-director of a credible messenger program here in the juvenile youth courts and in the communities in which we mentor young people to keep them from going down the same roads that I went down. And I still can't vote. So my question is this. What more do I need to do to prove that my voice is just as valuable as anyone else's? What more do I need to do to prove myself to the powers that be that my voice is important? My voice is valuable, and I should be able to express myself in the voting polls as well as, any, as, well as anywhere else. God bless y'all. God bless this movement. Thank y'all for having me on here tonight. All right. Voting rights and the champions of it. 
in studying the history of uh, the massive resistance to Brown versus Board of Education in the 1950s, I happened on the trail that led to the current attacks on our democracy. And in fact, what I discovered was a deliberate very calculated, very cold-eyed, uh, clear strategy to shackle our democracy. So all that we are seeing now, all that's happening across the states is not simply the result of Donald Trump. And I know many of you know this because you know the racism on which it all depends goes way, way back in our country. But the actual strategy of rigging the rules really started coming together in the late 1990s. And then they kind of hit the ground running, particularly after the election of President Obama. But even before that, they were laying the groundwork. So it's absolutely critical that mobilizations like this take place and that we push as hard as we can to end the Jim Crow filibuster and to free democracy from these shackles so that we can do all the wonderful and important things the vast majority supports and has wanted to see done for so long. So after uh, the inauguration of the new presidency in the United States, we have seen more than 389 restrictive bills introduced in 48 states in the 2021 legislative session. 14 states have now passed 22 bills targeting voter access, and that's just the beginning. We are in the middle of this fight state by state, including here in North North Carolina. At the same time, we're also seeing democracy suppression bills targeting election workers, election certification processes. Uh, so far, we are, have seen 216 bills across the country introduced that would allow state legislatures to politicize, criminalize, or interfere with elections. This is the fight uh, that the federal government has to take up alongside the people who uh, state by state are standing up and saying, not in our name, uh, we have a voice and we want our voice to be heard. And the truth is that, one, we uh, not only are we sort of witnessing a civil war uh, amongst one of the major parties in our country, but in fact, uh, some have argued that it's descended into essentially the Republican crime syndicate. Uh, and that in the marketplace of ideas, fewer and fewer people are buying what they're selling. And the only way for them to continue to hold on to power is if they cheat. It is absolutely clear to me that if you are a climate activist or voter or donor, if you are an education activist, voter or, uh, or donor, um, uh, police reform, reproductive justice, that all of those things are important and we all need your energy, your passion, your organizing um, around those issues. And none of it matters if we are not able to protect and preserve the right to vote. And so no one ever said that it was going to be easy. No one ever said that our march towards a multiracial, multi-ethnic, multilingual, multi-generational sort of plurality, majority, was going to be easy and that white supremacy was going to die quietly. But one thing I think we don't pay enough uh, attention to, this political right is deathly afraid of the new generation because they understand that this is the most diverse generation. It's a generation that knows the economy is not working for the vast majority. As a friend of mine says, this is the generation we've been waiting for, right? They are incredible. I am optimistic 
I am optimistic about what is ahead. And I'm optimistic because I see what we have just been through and that, that the frontline communities all across this country who, who have historically felt the burdens of uh, racial discrimination, inequities uh, in our economic system, uh, the climate change crisis, and other historic inequalities have been standing up and saying, we are not just moving uh, to participate in our elections in, in, in historic numbers. We are moving from being governed to governing. This is a transformative moment in our country's history. And we believe that if we invest in our democracy now, we can create a country that will uh, lift up to meet the promise of past generations that have laid so much on the line for us to be able to be here and be free with one another speaking these words today. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. We're going to take a quick station break. When we return, we will continue our special on the 2021 National Poor People's and Low-Wage Workers Assembly, hosted by the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Sojourner Truth. And you can check us out on our website at sotrueradio.org. If you're on Facebook, you can look for us and like us on Facebook. And check out our website at sotrueradio.org. And our handle on Instagram and Twitter at sotrueradio. We're also on SoundCloud. You can go to the search bar and type in Sojourner Truth with Margaret Prescott to find us. And today, I'd like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in North Carolina. And internationally, we would like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in Palestinian territories. Now, we return to our special on the 2021 National Poor People's and Low Wage Workers Assembly, hosted by the Poor People's Campaign a national call for moral revival. On Monday, June 21st, 2021, thousands of poor people, known low-wage workers, campaigners, and faith leaders from across the United States gathered online for a mass assembly. There was also an in-person event held in Raleigh, North Carolina. It was organized by the Poor People's Campaign. 
uh, people spoke out against the interlocking injustices of systemic racism, the denial of health care and ecological devastation, poverty, militarism, and the distorted moral narrative of religious nationalism. Let's hear those voices now. We've been together to commemorate tragedies as we were in, in Tulsa. We've been together to celebrate victories. But I don't think we've ever been together at a time of such opportunity to deliver dignity for our nation's poor and low-wage workers and make ending poverty not just an aspiration, but a theory of change. And I want to thank everyone for joining this assembly, for reminding us that, uh, that we all created an image of God. And we all have the right to economic opportunity, to health care, to clean air, water, and the right to vote. With our advocacy, we're translating our shared prayers into policy and building our economy from the bottom up and the middle out. You know, through the American Rescue Plan, we've cut hunger by a quarter and we're on track to cutting child poverty in half. We know it's not enough just to build back from this pandemic, the devastation it's caused for most vulnerable among us. We have to build back better than before with millions of jobs that deliver dignity, a $15 minimum wage, yeah. affordable housing, universal pre-K, tuition-free community college. We need to build worker power through organization and collective bargaining and heed the cry for racial justice some 400 years in the making. Rev, at my inaugural prayer service, you reminded us that only by being, quote, repairs of the breach can we bring revival. Vice President Harris and I will keep working with you and your poor people's campaign to answer that clarion moral call. God bless you all and your urgent work. We're going to continue hearing from those impacted. We're going to now hear from Alicia Cool, coming from Santa Cruz Homeless Union. Alicia. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for having me. On behalf of the National Union of the Homeless, my family and I live in an RV in a city where an all-out war has been declared on the unhoused. We are those with sub-minimum wage jobs who can't afford sky-high rent, those with disabilities, those who have been turned out of their homes because they are gay or the victims of domestic violence, those who will soon be on the street when the eviction moratoriums come to an end. When COVID-19 hit, the Homeless Union organized Project Survival, bringing food, medical care, and life-saving essentials to the people. We went to court and got federal injunctions to stop police from breaking up hundreds of encampments. We showed that we're homeless, not helpless. That's right. Homelessness is just the most visible expression of the deepening poverty and affordable housing crisis millions of Americans are facing. Whether they are doubled up with other families, herded into shelters, squatted in boarded up buildings, or paying outrageous fees in weekly rate motels. Our union fights for day-to-day -day survival, but we are about ending homelessness. So we join you in fighting for a new third reconstruction in America, for an America where no one has to go without the basic necessities of life. Thank you very much. 
Thank you, Alicia. The next voices you're going to hear is from Reverend Latia Frazier, Tammy Rojas, and Dr. Viviana Martinez Bianchi. Reverend Frazier. People with disabilities or pre-existing conditions often get left out of health care plans, civil rights legislation, employment, and housing. We are often left out of sight and off of people's minds. The truth is people with disabilities are the fastest growing minority group. And because of COVID-related health complications, many more people are and will become a part of the disability community. We live in a society where people with disabilities are made for and are often on the fringes of society. In the Christian tradition, Jesus had a lot to say about that. People with disabilities are not the problem that needs healing, but it is the society that shuts people with disabilities out from being full participants in all aspects of society and therefore are made poor and dispossessed that needs restructuring. The Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival, is calling for a third reconstruction because when you lift people with disabilities up, everybody rises. Thank you. Hello, my name is Tammy Rojas. I'm a coordinator with Poor People First PA and the National Unit of the Homeless. I live in Lancaster, a rural county in Pennsylvania. I have been poor and held low-wage jobs and never had decent health care for the majority of my life. I contracted COVID-19 at the end of January. My Penn Medicine doctor gave me the runaround about getting a COVID-19 test, so I had to get a test through other means. And I've had to fight Penn Medicine for the health care treatment I've needed ever since. I'm still dealing with lingering effects since contracting the virus. My lung capacity has changed, and I still have moments of extreme fatigue and COVID fog brain. During this pandemic, Lancaster County decided to spend resources on building a new prison instead of saving a hospital from closure. That's how wrong our priorities are, not just in my county, but at every level of our government. We have made some progress in changing the national conversation on poverty, but we have to realize that we cannot end poverty without enacting universal health care. Health care is a human right that must be guaranteed to everyone. Millions more of us are facing serious health conditions because we contracted the COVID-19 virus. Congress must make enacting universal health care a priority. Thank you. In the United States today, many people bear a disproportionate burden of disease, premature death, and higher rates of pain and suffering. Black men are 70% more likely to die from a stroke as compared to non-Hispanic white men. Black mothers have three times higher maternal mortality than white mothers. Out of every 1,000 live births, we will lose 11 black babies, twice as many as white babies. Hispanics have a 50% higher death rate from diabetes and are more likely to be without health insurance. 
the rate of infant mortality for indigenous Americas is 60% higher than those for white kids. People of color have had higher rates of infection, hospitalization, and death due to COVID-19, yet they are less likely than white people to have received a COVID-19 vaccine. When usually gunshots are the night, the lullabies, because drive-bys put babies to sleep in these streets. One way in, one way out. This scenario is all too familiar, without a doubt. Many doubt they'll make it to their 18th birthday, so what do they have to celebrate when celebrations are mostly celebrated with rest in peace teams? It's hard to believe that your children will not fall victim in these streets when many don't know how they'll eat because mama sold her food stamps 50 for 100 and those are the numbers of gang members and drug dealers that are out there hunting, recruiting them daily. Their lives are in daily jeopardy and double the chances of time of death or time in jail. This system has failed. Well, not really. When it was never really designed for us in the first place, we are last in this rat race when the rest of the world was given a five-minute head start and head start programs are being cut and budgets cut, which usually mean a bigger cut, which goes into pockets of rich men, and he buys his wife a new bins and spends his summer vacations in nations. Now, ain't that a trip? Because Trump causes falls, and we fall victim and become divided into eight sections while patiently waiting to be put on waiting lists that are eight years long. We got this thing wrong. The system is designed to keep us living poor comfortably. Because that's housing's authority. Until the minute you're given more hours or more power, They take everything away from Medicaid to your place to stay, and there's no way it should benefit you by not working. This is not working. We are working on working just to stay poor. All right. So when we walk out that front door, hardships are ready to greet you. Hi, neighbor. I'm poverty. Nice to meet you. All right. All right. Oh, I know we can do better than that. Come on, put your hands together for People's Campaign. Oh, come on, come on. When I say, say, fight poverty. Not the poor. Fight poverty. Not the poor. Fight poverty. Not the poor. All right, all right, poor People's Campaign. Now, getting ready to come up to talk about indigenous rights climate and ecological devastation. I want y'all to put y'all hands together. We got Crystal Cavalier Keck, Jason Crazy Bear Keck, and William Barber III, along with Justin J. Pearson. Put your hands together, everybody. Being indigenous, indigenous and black, I have learned hard lessons like we still live in slavery conditions and colonial violence still continues in the United States. There is still so much trial and tribulations that we go through as indigenous people. We can't get a decent wage to sustain ourselves, nor can we get adequate housing, adequate water due to oil and gas pipelines coming through our communities, 
adequate health care, and there is a war on our women called missing murdered indigenous women. And these laws remain deeply rooted in supremacy and colonial violence. Halito, it is hard to speak in a social climate that has me watch the descendants of my African ancestors openly and visibly oppressed and does little to address those oppression systems. That has me watch the descendants of my ancestors often continue on with blinders to the reality that those same racially oppressive systems foster the economic disparity that oppresses their own interests in the hierarchy of wealth to poverty. These truths are so hard to speak on at times that I find myself often just being a stand as we are standing here today now against racial and an economic inequity and the barriers that keep justice from all the people's hands. As poor Afro-Indigenous American citizens, my wife and I stand for all the people's justice, equity, and equality in these trying times. Can we say forward together? Not one step back. Forward together. Not one step back. In 1969, civil rights leader James Farmer Jr. drew the connection between the fight for our environment, the fight for civil rights, and the fight against poverty. He stated that each one of us had an equal stake in the fight for our planet and for environmental justice, because if we did not save the environment, we did not save the earth, and whatever we hoped to do in civil rights or in a war against poverty would be of no consequence because we would all have the equality of extinction and the brotherhood of the grave. We sit here over 50 years since he uttered those words. We sit here over 50 years since the first Earth Day where people gathered in mass to elevate a commitment to our planet and to people. We sit here 39 years since activists and community leaders pushed the environmental movement by birthing an environmental justice movement right here in North Carolina. We sit here, the beneficiaries of a legacy of individuals who have always understood that this fight for people and for planet is interconnected. We sit here a remnant of their struggle, but also with our eye on a different timeline. We sit here where a global climate crisis looms, threatening to disrupt and displace our very existence, especially the most marginalized amongst us. We sit here where a UN IPCC report has stated we have nine years to take critical action to limit climate catastrophe. We sit here where despite the continued evidence of ecological devastation, of global climate disruption, despite knowledge of how this impacts the most marginalized communities amongst us, there are still forces in denial, some right here in North Carolina, that would try to slow walk our transition to a clean economy and a just future for us all. We sit here. We sit here where despite and recognize that if we are to honor the legacy of those like James Farmer Jr., like Dr. King, like those of us here, that we can't just sit here, that if we truly care about our people, if we truly care about our planet, if we truly care about our future, that each of us has a stake to work to deconstruct these ills and reconstruct justice. We can't just sit here. We must work forward together. Come on, put your hands together.
I said, Poor People's Campaign, put your hands together. That's right, that's right. We're getting ready to transition into the next section, and I need everybody to say, Equal protection. Oh, we got to get louder than that, Poor People's Campaign. Say equal protection under the law. Say equal protection under the law. We're out of time. I'd like to thank all of the speakers featured in today's show. A beginning, we want to thank the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival, for allowing us to share their audio with you. I would also like to thank the Sojourner Truth team. Romero Funes is our assistant uh, producer and also want to thank today's audio engineer. If you'd like a copy of today's show, you can contact the Pacifica Radio Archives at 1-800-735-0230. Go online to pacificaradioarchives.org. And by the way, the music you will hear in part one of this special, and you remember to tune in for part two of this special, music from the Poor People's Campaign Choir. Remember to visit the Sojourner Truth website, sotrueradio.org, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at SoTrueRadio. Y'all, please remember to stay safe. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. <laughs>